0: Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez and welcome to Deadtime Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift, dedicated to telling just that. Scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows, but they are scary. Tonight our host Deadhead shares with you six tales. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further, but your stories lie just ahead. Do be careful though. Deadhead can be mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed.
1: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes.
2: Talk about starting the morning right. my little cadavers, I'm tickled to death that you've returned. Tonight, I've unearthed six deceptive stories, all having to do with secrets. First up, a trio of underwater explorers discover more than they could have ever dreamed in a story I call Deep Blue. This is Mikami
4: with the Empire University team logging the Azul expedition. I, alongside of fellow grad student Adam Cole, are set to dive into the recently uncovered ruin off the coast of Belize. We are alongside Professor Rolf Dumont with the anthropology department. It was found, or rather rediscovered, by local environmentalists. The ruin itself, located within a submerged cove, required us to dive inside to explore. While we were making arrangements, several locals in the area approached us. They told us the ruin was holy ground and a nest of an ancient serpent god. They insisted they bless us before we enter. However, Professor Dumont refused, saying that it would be a waste of time and unnecessary. While I do respect the professor, it was rude, but per his wishes... We proceeded. We set forth immediately, equipped with the latest in diving suits, communicators, and underwater photo-slash-video cameras to document every inch of this discovery. We were intent on mapping the cove and returning with even greater numbers and resources. We were trained for every possible scenario. So we thought. It didn't take long to make a discovery upon our initial dive. Ancient buildings, possibly temples of worship, were within our path. We made sure to record every moment. Along with that, broken pottery and rusted metal lined the floor. Then, we found it. A massive blue hole, an underwater sinkhole that could be hundreds of feet deep. There are few scattered around Belize, known for tourists and diving attractions. It's just so curious that one would be here, in an underground cavern like this, with an entire ancient city seemed to be built around it. Even stranger, there were dozens, if not hundreds, of human remains surrounding the Blue Hole, likely used as a human sacrifice to whatever god they worshiped. Dumont radioed in. I'm going in for a closer look. Record surroundings. He was the most experienced diver out of all of us, so, It only made sense. I was afraid to admit that I felt weary of diving in. We were used to studying ancient cultures and remains, but something about this area filled me with dread. I was happy to follow Adam around the hole. As we continued to record our findings, we listened. To Professor Dumont as he went deeper. He would tell us of carvings along the sides of the hole, many depicting a large winged serpent devouring sacrifices and being worshipped by the populace of the city. He also noted curious grooves and markings, more than likely caused by rubble or seismic shifts. He insisted on documenting the depth of the hole. Then Professor Dumont's feed faltered. He acted frantically. I'm I'm not alone, he shouted before his feed cut entirely. Adam tried checking back in. His equipment may have failed. We drifted to the edge of the hole and looked down. Blue on the surface level, but an abyss of darkness below that. We radio Professor Dumont again and again. No response. I'm going in after them, Adam radioed me. Then we see it. Lights from below. Two bright, golden lights. Bioluminescent creatures, I hypothesize. But... It's so much more. The lights move toward us faster and faster. It's, it's too fast. Move! I cried to Adam. We backed away from the blue hole, and it emerges. A god. A massive serpentine eel, as big as a freight train, and, and jaws wide enough to swallow a manhole, and, and these teeth as big as trees, grayish-green skin, and those, those eyes, those glowing golden eyes. They looked right at us. We had to escape. Adam clearly has the same idea. We rushed towards the edge of the cavern. We swam as fast as we could, but but the creature had seen us. I could hear the massive leviathan slice through the water as it chased us. I gestured at Adam. I, f- I found a spot to hide in an ancient building. Thankfully he followed me in. We squeezed into the doorway just as the massive eel floated above, looking for its prey, or rather. Sacrifices. This entire village was built around the hole and the massive creature that they worshiped as a god. We waited for what felt like hours, but, but we knew better. Oxygen tank levels let us know that we only had precious minutes of air left. We couldn't hide forever. When it seemed like the shadow above us was gone, we made a break for it. With all of our might, we swam towards the entrance then we felt it. The current shifted. We looked towards the direction it shifted, and there it was—the creature, mouth agape, and creating a whirlpool and sucking us towards it. I—I I tried to—I tried to grab Adam's hand, and but—but but he wasn't close enough. He screamed, and I yelled. It still haunts me. But there was nothing that I could do. I could just watch him get sucked into the god's gaping mouth. I turned and, and I heard those jaws clamp together. I move my body with every fiber of my being. I'm, I'm trying to outrun a god. But what chances do I have? I mean, I swim through the dark waters illuminated only by a flashlight until until I see it. The edge of the cavern, time seems to stand still and speed up at the same time. This is all I have. My hand feels the surface and I pull myself up and slam onto the ground. Oh God. I look back into the water and, and I briefly see those golden eyes flicker under. And then they're gone. I practically limp onto the shore from there. So exhausted and, and heartbroken. My friends are dead eaten by an ancient deity, mad for us desecrating its lands, or or just hungry, or both. I have the footage, but will that be enough? Do I even want to share this horror with the world? Perhaps these gods are best left undisturbed.
2: You know what they say? You don't have to outswim the eel god. Just outswim your diving partner. <laughs> but don't swim anywhere, Kadavas. I've got another story for you just after this break.
3: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion
2: What's worse, trying to find an apartment or trying to live with a messy roommate? Unfortunately for Bobby, in our next story, he must deal with both in a tale I call The New Guy.
5: Renting totally sucks. Buying a place is too damn expensive. You all know this. Housing in this country is bullshit. What can you do short of a revolution? Find a roommate. So there I am, kicked out of my last place because it's being bought to make room for an even bigger and more expensive luxury condo complex by some foreign investment group that nobody in this city could actually afford. I found a decent two-bedroom apartment on the other side of town, but I need a roommate to be able to get it. Easy solution? Look online. I get a bunch of burnouts and shady messages, but eventually I find a dude who seems on the level. His name's Kevin. He just moved into town and was looking for something long-term. Which was fine by me because the place was right near my office and I never wanted to deal with moving again. I check his references, look him up online. He's a dental assistant and he just found a job at a local clinic. And he can cover first month, second month, and last month's rent. He's perfect. We shake on it and we are set. We apply and thanks to Kevin's record, we're accepted almost instantly. Dude's got a perfect credit score. We move in and all seems to be going well. I got my setup, and he mostly sticks to himself in his own room. Something Kevin does strikes me as a little strange, though. He's always bringing these black duffel bags in, but nothing gets taken out. I brush it off. I just didn't notice, or maybe it's dental supplies. Who knows? He gets toothbrushes and stuff all the time. I got enough stuff from him along with toothpaste. I'm set for life. Then one day, I'm heading back into the apartment from work, and this dude in a trench coat is standing out front waiting. I pray he doesn't try to talk to me, but he asks for a minute of my time. Not wanting to start anything, I stop. He says he's looking for somebody, an old friend. He takes out his phone, and sure enough, there's a picture of Kevin. I don't know what the deal is, so I tell him I have no clue who that is. He nods and walks off. I didn't say anything to Kevin that night, but I know better than to just ignore it. While he's preparing dinner, I ask a couple of questions, casual. You never said where you were from. What brought you here, Kevin? He replies, business. While cutting those vegetables with that big sharp knife. Never realized how efficient he is with it. i leave it at that. It keeps running through my mind. What's the deal with Kevin? Should I worry? I decide to go get a glass of water, ease my mind. As soon as I open the fridge, I realize I'm not alone. There are three guys around me. They definitely seem to be holding guns and they're pointed right at me. I raise my hands, I tell them to take whatever they want. We don't want you, we want him. They show their other hands, badges. They're with the freaking FBI. Shit has gotten too goddamn crazy. They tell me to take them to Kevin's room. I'd never been inside, never wanted to. And in some sick curiosity, I wanted to know now. They bust out the door and turn on the lights, bodies. Dead bodies everywhere, along with guns and papers and piles of teeth. They tell me Kevin is a wanted mercenary, a hitman and torture expert who works for mobs, terrorists, or the highest bidder. I don't explain a lot in retrospect. Then, blam! One of the FBI guys' head explodes. There's Kevin with a shotgun behind us. I duck for cover as bullets shred everything. There goes the safety deposit. By the time I get up, the FBI guys are dead and Kevin's got his back to me. He talks to me, not even looking. I'm a non-entity in this. You were the perfect cover, Bobby. Shame you have to die, he says, before I bash that glass over his head. He's down, just as the trench coat guy and other FBI agents come charging in. I testify and the government puts me in witness protection. Kevin's got friends, and who knows what'll happen if he escapes or hears about me. So, I'm in some small-town wasteland in the middle of nowhere with a new name in place. On the plus side, I we'll won't ever have to worry about moving or renting again.
2: Oh, Bobby, your roommate just had a Different aesthetic than you. Personally, I prefer a body in the bureau or arms in the armoire. <laughs> Sit through this break while I work on a little dead
1: time decoration.
2: said all you need is love well tell that to our next victim who finally gets all the love she can handle in a tale i call hide
6: as long as i can remember i've always wanted to be loved by everyone then again don't we all it's not like there were problems at home or anything My parents loved me, my friends loved me, but I wanted everyone to love me. Which is why I started my streaming channel, Jessica Hines Hideaway, where I could talk about boys, trends, my dog Rob, and other channels. My eyes would spark seeing all those little hearts pop up on chat. They loved me. But being loved is exhausting, and people will only love you if you're your best you. Which is why I'm always my best, happy, pretty self. Especially because anything else doesn't pay. I'm just about ready to graduate high school, and companies are paying me a fortune to eat their food, play their games, and mention their brands on my channel. I just need to keep being the best me I can be. Then one morning, I woke up to find all these threatening emails, horrible stuff, saying, you dumb bitch, and you're a waste of air, all of them addressed from your greatest fan. (laughs) Definitely didn't seem like that to me. So I blocked the email and went to spend some snuggle time with Rob, my pet pug. Rob always makes me feel better. People love dogs, especially small ones. It was so relaxing. I was cuddling with Rob when all of a sudden, Rob bit me. It hurt super bad and there was blood all over my pretty bed and my expensive laptop. I didn't even know how to react until I saw the reactions of the viewers and they were furious at me. How dare you do that to your poor dog? What's wrong with you? I'm calling the police. I don't know what happened. One second I'm petting and the next I'm bleeding. Oh God, I'm bleeding. I ran straight to the bathroom. I don't stop the stream though. I can't leave my loyal fans waiting, right? I get bandaged up, stop the bleeding. A million thoughts are crossing through my mind. I'm gonna lose fans. I'm gonna lose sponsors over this. Then I look at the mirror, and written in lipstick, I see somebody wrote, You cannot hide! Someone's in here with me. Probably the same someone who sent me those emails and must have fed something to Rob to make him attack me like that. I grab a pair of scissors and decide to investigate, and let all my fans watch. I knew this was inevitable. Someone loved me so much they tried to see me in person, attack me, worse, but I'll be fine. I'll survive. I hold the scissors close in one hand, the phone flashlight in the other. I saw someone in the living room. The lights are off, and I wanted to get the jump on them. I stabbed the person, only to realize it was just a hung-up coat. I felt a crack along my head, and everything went dark. I woke up, in front of my laptop, on my bed, blood everywhere. I was a mess. The comments were horrifying. My followers count plummeted, I cried. I screamed. It wasn't fair. Why did someone hate me so much? Then, I saw clips of my livestream being shared in the comments. I clicked them. It was me, but it couldn't be. I was hurting poor little Rob. I cut myself. I sent those horrible emails to myself and sent them to my fans. I was trying to ruin myself, but then it made sense. As the chat room became empty, as no one would follow me again. I couldn't hide anymore with fake activities, products, or my fake personalities. I was free. I closed my laptop and walked outside. The police were waiting for me, and I accepted them with open arms. They asked what was wrong with me. I told them, I'm guilty, I'm free.
2: Sounds like Jessica could influence all but the one person who truly mattered. Johnny Law! Ha <laughs> ha! Stick around, cadavers. The secrets are just getting started. so hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. Our next tale is about a fact-checker who may have to check in with a priest after this story I call Miracles.
1: I had faith solely in the material mortal world, until I met Jebediah Parkman. My name's Louise Thornton, and I'm a staff member with Humbug.com. We fact check alleged con men and supernatural events, that sort of thing. I cannot tell you how many times we've seen these televangelists say they've turned water into wine, with the aid of food dye, or exercising demons when it turns out the person they're exercising is also on their payroll. This seemed par for the course. Parkman seemed typical. Based in Louisville, Kentucky, he had a small church that recently exploded with congregants and money after he performed miracles for his flock. I was to check out the veracity of these claims and see if it was just another stunt to add to the collection pot. The man was charismatic, that was for sure. Porcelain smile and away with words that matched his $10,000 sermon suit. Saying, the angels have imbued me with their power to cleanse this world of evil and before our eyes, he floated. I couldn't see any wires, couldn't see any platforms below him. The man seemed to actually fly before our eyes. My jaw dropped. I rationalized it. Must be some new hologram tech or something. Next, a woman was allowed to approach as he returned to the ground. She had burns over half her body. She limped toward Jebediah. He put his hands on her face, and moments later... The burnt skin fell off like a snake shedding. Underneath, she was good as new. It didn't look like it was makeup, and she was with family who hugged her dearly afterward. I'm floored. I've gone over all the tricks of the trade, the art of the con, but it's all too real. Jebediah beseeched the crowd to pay into their collection plate so he could afford not just a megachurch, but an ultimate church to spread his gospel. Money flooded like a broken ATM into the collection plates. There was so much, they practically needed vacuums to suck the cash into his vault. I sat through several more miracles. He generated electricity, he made a dog walk again, he even made the full collection plates appear at his side with just a snap of his fingers. I stopped writing in my notebook. I keep recording, but my eyes cannot believe what they are seeing. Could he be the real deal? Could he have some kind of connection with God? He faltered after that as if he had weakened, just as the sermon came to a close. His knees buckled and he was sweating bullets. I had to look into it. I tried approaching Jebediah afterward, only to be pushed back by his security. Still, I had to chase the truth, which was why I snuck behind the pulpit to see where Jebediah was so fast to go. I managed to follow him into his dressing room, Seemed pretty typical, except there's a big burlap sack in the middle of the room. I ducked behind a mirror just in time for him to remove the bag. Beneath it, well, I can only call it what it is. An angel. Sheet white skin, wings off its back, platinum hair. It's human, but something is just off. About its face, like a stone statue. Jebediah says something about needing more of the sacrament before he stabs the poor thing, collecting its blood in a goblet and drinking it. He savors it, even as the angel weeps and whimpers. Jebediah thanks Zedkiel, as he calls it, and sucks the angel blood down, the glow returning to the minister's body. Needless to say, I had my camera on him the whole time. This shit is insane. I need to report back. I have to tell someone, everyone, Then, the minister's head turns. He mutters, I sense an unholy presence in my house. I try to back away to the door, but he senses me. He's on me. He's got my neck in his vile grip. It's like a vice. He says to me, I will not permit you to dirty my sanctimonious name. With all my might, I hit him in the face with my phone, just realizing we were levitating as all the air returns to me. I try to push him off. But we fall right on the angel. Zedkiel flaps its wings and spasms, trying to get us off. I entangle a chain and pull until it pops out of the ground. With one arm free, it rips the other chain off. Jebediah cries out in horror and anguish. I am doing God's will, he screams. Zedkiel seems to get his strength back immediately, putting Jebediah into a hold before bellowing, No, I am you will be judged for your self-righteousness. And in the next moment, there's a crash and they've rocketed through the roof, leaving me in the dust and looking up through the hole to the starry heavens above, left wondering who's looking down.
2: Guess old Jebediah is walking that stairway to heaven now. (laughs) Who are we kidding? He's definitely running with the devil. You take a break while I do a lap with Jebediah and his new friend. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. There you are, cadavers. Ready for a walk on the wild side? (laughs) Our next tale shows us the wonders of Mother Nature when an environmentalist journeys into the woods. Nature is as beautiful as it
4: is deadly. It's a splendor that must be protected. That's why I joined the Wood Troopers. It's a new environmental protection group, not a fan of the name, however, The local woods needed protecting. The Scottsdale Paper Company was logging Emerald Woods to the last tree in a move that was rife with corruption and government kickbacks. The group was quickly formed by Stephen Wheeler, a local activist. Steve's charismatic and takes action, the kind of leader that I can get behind. Me and the rest of the Wood Troopers happily followed him into the woods. The plan was simple. We camp out in the woods so that they can't cut trees down. We may get arrested, but we can slow things down. The others fall asleep. I'm on watch having a drink and listening to some music. Steve takes a seat next to me. Need some company for him? I take him up on that. We talk. He's a stand-up guy, cares about the world and is thankful for our help. I just wanna do my part and feel like I'm part of something. We tell stories to pass the time. I tell him a little embarrassed that one of the things that I loved about the Emerald Woods were the legends about Bigfoot. Silly. I know. But people have been spotting that ape man here for decades. He laughs it off. You gotta lay off the conspiracy sites. We're protecting real animals and real nature. <laughs> I get it. We gotta keep our eyes on the prize. Steve went to sleep and I stood watch. Until I nodded off. Then I heard something. Scratching. Twigs breaking nearby. <laughs> it couldn't be. In my half-sleep, dreamlike state, I figured, worth looking. It couldn't actually be Bigfoot. No way. I grabbed my flashlight and I stepped into the dark. I wandered past several trees. I hear owls hooting, skittering. It's serene, but at the same time, rather eerie. But then I see a truly disturbing sight. Steve. He's out in the clearing with a torch and several tanks of gasoline. He's setting them up in a circle like a pattern. Without thinking, I step forward. "Steve, uh, what are you doing here with all this gas?" He jumps in shock. "Bob, buddy." <laughs> he steps closer, real friendly like. "I can't believe it. Uh, I don't wanna believe it. Look, man, It's just business. The paper company's giving me a mint to set some fires and make it look like it's the environmental group's fault. I can cut you in. (sighs) Suddenly, he hits me. I'm on my back. He pulls out a survival knife. Or, I can just cut you. He brings the knife closer. Then he's pulled into the canopy of a nearby tree. I hear a small yelp and, and he's gone. I get to my feet. I, I hear some rustling, cracking. Then a shockwave hits near me. Something landed near me. I turn and I see this huge furry thing. Steve's in its midst, with his head twisted all the way around it, and I can't even breathe. It's real, and it's right in front of me. I'm frozen. He drops Steve's corpse Among the gasoline, he he looks right at me and raises a single finger to its mouth. Shh. He wants me to be quiet. So I am. Then, it's gone. I call the cops right after that, and I, I tell them I found Steve the way he was. Must have fallen out of a tree while putting up those gas cans. Turns out, all along, He was working at Scottsdale Paper. The entire company is under investigation. And, more importantly, the Emerald Forest has been declared protected. It's for the best, really. No one knows it, but protecting the forest protects us from what's inside.
2: Steve hear what happens when Bigfoot steps on you. You get sasquashed. <laughs> oh, for more side splitting fun,
1: sit through our last break of the evening.
2: In our final tale of the evening, a detective tracks down a mysterious beachside killer who seems to suck the
7: life out of people
2: in a story I call Dry Land.
7: I've seen all kinds of people die in all kinds of weird ways since I became a cop. Shootings, stabbings, car crashes, even people thrown out of windows or skinned alive. But what I saw on this case was beyond belief. It was the first day of June, a hot one. We got the call in the morning. Somebody found a dead body. Only thing was the condition. It was a girl. But the body looked mummified. Like you ever been in the museum and looked at one of those things? Completely dried out, no eyes, petrified. We checked her ID. Wallet was still in her pocket. Judy Parsons, age twenty. Couldn't quite tell how she died, but the thing that caught my attention were the eye sockets. They looked wider, either like she had been stabbed through the sockets or she opened them so wide they cracked. We take her to the corner and his report doesn't give us much. No obvious trauma, but the victim died of severe dehydration. Pretty obvious. No blood, no water, no fluids, weird. The victim was spotted leaving work from a restaurant just the night before. She couldn't have been dried out like that in such a short period of time. It was like spontaneous combustion or something. Not even a day later, we get the call. They found a couple of hobos in the same condition near the docks. Two guys, totally mummified. I get more disturbed just looking into those wide eyeless sockets. The CDC are called in to make sure this isn't some kind of viral thing or mutagen. But I have my doubts. I see an old bag lady watch us while we remove the bodies. Doesn't take a genius to see. I step up to her, eyes glued on those corpses. Miss, did you see anything last night? She shakes. You, you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe. I comfort her. I just need answers, a direction. She relents. It was a funny looking man. Wore a raincoat. He kissed those men and then they were dead. Not exactly the clearest testimony, but I thanked her and made note. Days went by, and the bodies only piled up. Same M.O. Normal people seem fine and healthy one day, beef jerky the next. The only pattern being they were all last seen near the docks. So the docks is where I needed to be. It's just a hunch, so I stake out the area myself. Ducked behind some abandoned cargo. I prepare for anything. So I think. It's nearly midnight when I see it. This dude climbs onto the dock, wearing a yellow rain slicker that covers his whole body. He walks funny, almost drunk, matches the description of the bag lady. So I decide to check him out. I walk out, badge and gun drawn. Detective Colton Wallace, LAPD, freeze! He stops. I step closer, trying to get a good look. Could this be whoever is responsible for mummifying people? He twitches and lunges at me like an unloaded spring. I barely have a chance to react before he's on me. He's heavy. Before I know it, we're tumbling onto the sand. I get to my feet, badge and gun knocked out of my grip. The lights from the dock put me in the shadows. I look around, nothing. But I can hear him, slithering, snaking. I grab my flashlight from my belt. The light reveals him. Inside the slicker is a uh, blob. It's got lumpy skin, like a humanoid starfish, and all these weird eyes. And it's mouth is more like a sucker tendrils seeping out. It was the shape of a man, but it was no man. It was on me by the time I saw it. He's holding me down, those tendrils pushing out his mouth and toward my eyes. So, this is how it happened. My final thoughts connecting the dots, but then my fallen flashlight reveals the glimmer of my handgun. I push him back with my left and I reach with my right. I can feel those horrible tentacles sap into my skin. I keep my eyes desperately shut. On instinct, I raise the gun to his face and fire. Blam! A spray of gunk and what must have been gallons of water sprays out. I cough and wipe myself off as I get to my feet. He twitches, so I unload the whole magazine in him before he just kind of evaporates. No water. No body. What was it? A demon? An alien? Who knows? All that matters is that I stopped it. But... It might be more than that. As I was leaving the beach, I think I saw more figures and slickers watching from the shadows under the docks, waiting. Something tells me they're thirsty.
3: Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. That's audible.com slash thrill. Or text THRILL to 500-500.
2: Hmm. Wallace seems to be an excellent detective. I wonder if he can track down what happened to all our time, because it's run out. I hope you enjoyed our six stories about secrets. And do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers.
0: (laughs) You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The six stories you've heard were written by Jacob Davison. Tonight's production starred Kayla Jeffries, Todd Denson, Todd Lights, Nicole Villela, Benjamin Apple, and Gogo Lomo David. With editing by my younger brother, Martin Martinez. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell.